electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to a special West Coast edition of Bad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other uh, people are my friends. I'm just trying to help you save some money. My job is not just to teach, but to entertain, educate, and put it all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Nasty week. Capped off by a terrible consumer price index number that makes you feel inflation so hot. Fed better hit us with an emergency rate hike on Monday. Not even waiting until Wednesday's federal meeting. I know that won't happen, but we do need a bigger hike than the Fed is currently considering. After the CPI figure, Fed Chief Jay Powell needs to shelve his plan for 50 basis point hikes and hit us with a 100 basis point hike to shock the system. Yes, inflation's so awful that the Dow correctly plunged another 880 points, while the S&P plummeted 2.91% and the Nasdaq Nosedive 3.5. Sell, sell, sell. No, no. Sure, maybe we catch a geopolitical break, like a surprise end of the war in Ukraine, but don't hold your breath. Maybe China drops its draconian lockdown policy, again, unlikely. Maybe President Biden can convince American oil companies to boost their production, but he doesn't seem to be trying very hard. For the moment, you have to accept radical acceptance. That's right. Adopt a policy of radical acceptance. Radical acceptance of these negatives. Steal yourself this awful moment. We will get through this together. That said, there will come a time when we start baking in these red hot inflation numbers. They do burn out, but only if the Fed keeps taking rates higher. And once we do that, we'll no longer have such a visceral reaction to every analyst price target cut or downgrade. By that point, we're going to be used to it and you're to it. Wouldn't shock me if today's meltdown was one of the last straws. We need a bottom in price target cuts and a top in interest rates. We are going to get there, people. I just can't tell you when. In the meantime, you need to know that the companies out here in San Francisco have only just begun to realize that they overexpanded. And in many cases, some of these companies should never come public. They just couldn't resist the temptation because there was so much money in the system. 
Look, I say it's just beginning because many of the valuations kicking around for privately held startups that I looked into this week are so wildly high versus their public brethren that a less diplomatic person might just say, stop lying to yourselves. Your company may not even be a company. Your company just may be a concept which you ginned up and the VCs and bankers bought into it and made fortunes fooling the poor, unwashed public. But for now, VCs, but for now, companies, but for now, investment bankers, we're sick and tired of your pipe dream stocks. Nobody ever says this stuff because they care about making friends. I'm perfectly willing not to do that. Again, there needs to be what I call radical acceptance out here. Radical acceptance, and I'm going to keep using the term, that the stocks of companies with what I consider to be made-up financials that said adjusted EBITDA nonsense should simply go back to the drawing board. I'm not talking about tough love here. I'm talking about tough truth especially for the most bogus companies that were invented in the last three years. I say they should never come public, but in many cases, they shouldn't even exist. Harsh? Maybe. But I'm trying to help you preserve your capital because a product is not a company. That was something I discovered in this trip beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's just really killing us. Look, I have been on both sides of this business in my years on Wall Street. I've worked at Goldman Sachs in the dot-com era. I, bought a comp- I, I actually brought a company public that I admitted repeatedly was overvalued and was concerned that the public market was just way too bullish about it. I was told by people bigger and better than I am that I ought to shut my mouth, but I wouldn't. Go read all about it in Confessions of a Street Act. I was never afraid to tell the truth about overvaluation, and I'm not afraid now. It doesn't end well. And with that note of levity, Let's go to the game plan for next week. On Monday, Oracle speaks, and this might be this might be the chance. We don't know. Tears to clear the air of tech disappointment, which just hangs over here. It's a stench, frankly. It's not an air. Uh, the software company can talk about how cheap its stock is, how well its acquisition of Cerner is going, and all the new clients they'll get. I expect that. I actually expect a, I expect a tour de force conference a call led by stalwart, implacable Safra Katz. Now, she's the CEO. If Oracle goes down after that, we know tech is sunk, and the depths are not yet plumbed. I think it'll be great, and if it doesn't matter, there could be more pain ahead. Tuesday, Affirm Holdings has an analyst meeting. I've warned you away from the stock, but I have tremendous faith in the company. However, the Wall Street Journal has questioned the bad loans from the buy-now-pay-later business that they have. That piece is devastating for the whole industry, but I think Affirm's better than its peers. Still, we find out who's right at that meeting. I'd like to bet with Affirm, but that doesn't mean I'm betting with a stock. DuPont's hosting an analyst meeting on Tuesday, too. I think straight-shooting CEO Ed Breen can clear out, uh, clear out the, the miasma of disappointment we've been living in. Ed tells it like it is. That's one of the reasons why I like him and DuPont so much. Uh, at some point, he'll be asked if he sees a recession coming. That's what everybody does. Uh, we have lots of hedge fund managers come on or trying to talk their book, pontificating about how the economy's terrible because of inflation. Fed, pal, Fed chief Powell's done a bad job. Ed doesn't care about that stuff. Ed just doesn't talk like that. But if he says we're going into recession, I want to know how long. Because at that point, if Ed says it, it is inevitable. Wednesday is the most important day of the week because it's when we'll learn the Fed's next move on interest rates. Will they stick with the 50 basis point increases that they've been telegraphing for the past few months? Or will today's hot CPI reading force them to act more aggressively like I want them to? And if they do act more aggressively, will the market welcome that news or will we get another sell-off? We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, if I think we get 100 basis points, initial reaction, bad. Secondary reaction, 
good. Thursday, it transformed Kroger Reports, and it's anything like last time. You're going to hear a very compelling story about how a supermarket can localize, premiumize, and then win over its rivals. Kroger has employed every bit of relevant technology. You know what? I keep hearing about them out here. It's amazing. In order to transform itself, there's so much inflation in the grocery aisle that, that maybe it can't run ahead of the pain. But I'd still bet with these guys, not against them. I just wish the stock weren't so high. After the close, Adobe reports. We heard from them this week. I think it's going to be great, but no one will care unless bond yields go down that day or gasoline stays flat. Adobe's a terrific long-term growth story, though. So if it gets hit, you actually might want to buy some on weakness, but don't count it to turn around anytime soon. Leave more room to buy more. As you know, I run a charitable trust as part of the CNBC Investing Club, and I have to admit, today was brutal. So was yesterday. On really ugly days like this, you know what I do? I prefer to buy, not sell, particularly with the market being oversold. Today, I debated buying some Honeywell for the Travel Trust ahead of its analyst meeting next Thursday. Focus on the company's sustainable building business. That's an underappreciated story within Honeywell. But the company does have some economic sensitivity. And right now, well, that is just the kiss of death. So I'll keep my charitable bat on my shoulder unless Honeywell comes down. And then we see the stock plummet, say, one of these days. Could be worth picking up. Let's monitor it. If you belong to the club, you'll be kept up about whether to pull the trigger. Finally, on Friday, Centene has an analyst meeting, and I want to hear about whether the company's continuing the tradition of the late Michael Nidor, the man who created this healthcare powerhouse. Michael was one of the greatest people whom I've had the privilege of meeting since starting the show. All I can say is when the camera stopped, he talked not of business, but of charity, of compassion, and always how my kids doing. So the bottom line. Next week can be a continuation of this week unless we get a break in China, Ukraine, or at the pump, or the Fed does something big. You'd think that we'd be used to all the negatives that we keep getting by now, but we aren't. And it'll be very hard to have a real bottom until some of those things change. I want to take questions. I'd like to start with Eric in Tennessee. Eric. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, you're quite welcome. Uh, my question for you is in regard to waste management, ticker WM. This company has historically been a growth through acquisition company, and through this model, they have become a world dominator in the area of waste disposal. This company's growth has slowed in recent years. However, waste management's margins have been very consistent, and the company has raised its dividends every year for the past 17 years in a row. With a P.E. of 34 and a price to book of 8, is this stock too expensive? The problem is it is. And I have liked waste for a long time. I think Jim Fish is a remarkable manager. But we like to we like to buy companies that make things and do stuff that return capital. That's so freaking good for waste, but also sell at a reasonable price. And unfortunately, waste no longer does in a market that's this unforgiving. Next week could be the continuation of this week unless we get a break in China, Russia at the pump or the Fed does something big. On Mad Money tonight, fresh off the company's analyst day, I'm breaking down all the headlines and product innovations with AMD's Lisa Su. Then DocuSign and Stitch Fix crater today after earnings. So are these two stocks now compelling enough and cheap enough that you should buy them? I'll give you my take. And cybersecurity is still one of the most important cohorts that's still working that we heard from out here in San Francisco. So I'm sitting down with the CEO of CyberArk to see how his company's defending enterprises from an increase in cyber threats. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Today's red-hot inflation number crushed all stocks. Tech, just awful. Even the ones with positive catalysts. I mean, look, take this. Last night, Kramer Fave AMD, the new colossus of the semiconductor space, held this terrific analyst meeting where they laid out their upcoming product slate and raised their long-term margin forecast, just what we wanted. So on any other day, the stock would have roared. But instead, the news got buried in the inflation avalanche. Now, I'm definitive about this. I think it's a buying opportunity. We own it for the Chapel Trust. That's why I was thrilled when I got a chance to speak with Dr. Lisa Su, the chair and CEO of Advanced Micro Devices, right here at our San Francisco bureau. Take a look. Lisa, many years ago, you told me that there would be a company that could be a dominant company in semiconductors in Silicon Valley. I said, of course there is. It's already there. It's Intel. Yesterday, full day meeting. It's very clear that you're not only caught those guys, but you're well past it and you're doing some new things that I think make it so that you are the premier semiconductor company when it comes to computing. Why don't you tell people what you did yesterday? Because it was really remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, Jim, it's great to be here with you in person. Thank you for coming uh, to uh, Silicon Valley with us. You know, look, uh, yesterday was a big day for us. It it was really about the long term. And, you know, when you think about the journey that we've been on with AMD, it, it has been about building a foundation of being a great computing company. And, you know, we've, we've gotten a lot of scale now. So if you think about just all the growth we've seen over the last couple of years, but I'm even more excited about what we see over the next five years, because we really see like everybody needs more computing, especially the high performance computing. And, and that's where, you know, our sweet spot is. Yes. And there was a moment that was breathtaking in the call yesterday in your conference, which was that I hear Victor Peng. Now, he, is this, he was the CEO of a company you bought, Silence. He's now president of Adaptive and Embedded Compute, uh, Computer. And I've got to tell you, it was breathtaking to hear this man talk about a company, Xilinx, you bought, that dovetails far more perfectly than anyone on Wall Street thought it would. 
Well, you know, we completed the Xilinx um, acquisition four months ago, and this was really an opportunity for us to take a step back and describe exactly why it's so strategic. So if you think about everything that we've done as, you know, AMD in the high-performance computing market, you know, Xilinx and Victor bring, um, you know, really like number one leadership in adaptive computing. And when you put those two components together, we are touching everybody, Jim. I mean, billions of people are using AMD technology, and we see that just increasing as we go forward. People should know that this was a, a day where you talked about automotive, where you talked about smart city, healthcare. These were not verticals I, I knew AMD to be in before Xilinx. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I think what we've built is, you know, really a, a truly a diversified company around, of course, around computing, but around ensuring that we have, you know, sort of lots of businesses that can, you know, build off the same technology base. So, yes, uh, we're absolutely, you know, if you think about where we focus, you know, we're still extremely focused on the data center. But we see a huge opportunity as we think about AI going forward and, you know, how it plays into, you know, industrial and healthcare and all of these other verticals. And it's a very, you know, nice mix of businesses. Right. There's a lot of AI. Uh, And and again, uh, those of you who think that AMD is a gaming computing company should know that when you talk about transportation and your chips, that's AI. Aerospace is AI, automotive. And it it, it means to me moat. Nobody can just come in, rip yours out, and put somebody else's in. I, I think the beauty of AMD and AI is we can be at every part of the ecosystem. So, you know, in the cloud, I mean, you know, big exposure in the cloud, um, at the edge, and, you know, all of the interactions and communications there, um, and then in devices. And, yes, we are in devices as well. But I think having all, all of those technology capabilities actually makes us um, extremely, uh, you know, strong and a great partner for some of the largest customers in the world. Right, well, you had uh, two moments that I found somewhat antithetical, so maybe you can go over it. I love the raising of the long-term margins. You know I'm a huge believer in that, and you have delivered, delivered, delivered. But then you want radical acceptance. We expect at least one bad quarter due to the impending PC sector contraction. I am hoping that at a certain point that the mosaic of AMD would make it so that it wouldn't be one bad quarter. It would be one bad segment. We're still not there yet. You know, Jim, uh, this is really the transformation of our company. I mean, if you look a few years ago, we were 90% exposed to, you know, PCs and consumer. And yeah, you know, we see the macro environment out there. It it is a little bit choppy. But, you know, when you look at our business today, it's just a completely different profile. So, yes, we're very cognizant of what's going on in the market, but we also see, you know, Tech is about long-term bets and right. making right, the right strategic bets. And so, yes, it, there are some segments that are you know a little bit soft, but then we have segments that are very strong as well, including you know data center and the embedded segments, um, and all of that gives us you know what I think is a great portfolio um, to continue to grow and grow significantly above you know the market. Uh, well, let me push back again. Uh, you did mention many times about gaming. When I spoke to the CEO of Best Buy at length at her store, Corey Barry, she's terrific. She's afraid that the gaming cycle will peak next year and it will just it'll, it will pause. Not unlike the low end computing. Something you're concerned about? You know, I look at this as you know. Again, uh, there are lots of gamers out there, billions of gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we still see it's a strong cycle, and people are gaming on different uh, platforms. So I see, you know, a really a strong cycle. Now, okay. that being the case, um, as I said, the the 
you know, the beauty of the model is it's a diversified model. And so right. with our businesses, I think you have a lot of different levers to play as you go forward over the next three or four years. Now, uh, there were some comments about where you were versus your competition. I look at Bernstein, the good firm, and they are talking about how you're uh, – you're president, I always like to call me Italian cities, uh, whether it be Milan, whether it be Turin, I like that. I, I like I, Bergamon. These are beautiful towns. But point blank, Bernstein said that you're actually uh, your roadmap uh, is pulling away from your competitor, Intel, because their roadmap is delayed. I spoke. I spent a lot of time with Pat Gelsinger, uh, the CEO of Intel. Now, he, of course, begs to disagree. But there seem to be um, actual empirical data points that would indicate that you are well ahead. Just using those data points, tell me where you think you are versus them. Not a, no hyperbole because you're not given to it. But just <laughs> point blank, speed, effectiveness, what the customer wants. Well, uh, we are laser focused on technology leadership. I mean, we must, you know, that, that is sort of our foundation. Um, I would say today we have the best products in the market and for the data center. You know, best performance. We got NVIDIA. You know, I didn't talk about NVIDIA. <laughs> best performance, best power efficiency, very important, sustainability. Right is a big thing, best security. So we are um, laser focused on continuing. We uh, continue to do that. Uh, we talked about our long-term roadmaps um, yesterday, Jim. So everybody likes to know, you know, not just what you're doing today, but what you're doing over the next few years. Uh, you know, we are absolutely on track uh, for our next generation that's launching later this year. And we showed, you know, a little bit about what's what's in the hopper. So I think people are excited about it. Well, we're in favor of mad money of companies that are not valued too high, that make products or do something that we all need that return capital. That is most certainly you. The return of capital is extraordinary here. Can that continue? you, Xilinx always return capital too, because you may have the best balance, rivaling Hawk Tan even for the amount of cash flow you have. Still going back to the shareholders, great deal of it? Yes. Uh, we look at this as a very disciplined capital allocation model. Uh, you know, we're generating um, a lot of cash right now. You know, we see in the long term we'll continue to generate cash, and we want to return a good amount of that to our shareholders. You know, it's, it's all of our stakeholders should be happy with the progress at AMD. All right. One last question. Uh, you've schooled me. And I've been very honest about it, but I need to know the truth. I came out here all week, and people are a little depressed. Uh, I see the same old Lisa Sue. Nose to the grindstone, do the best job, everything works. Uh, can, you, can you keep that mindset in a place where people are worried about layoffs, people are worried about, about the economy? I, I've never seen people this down this down here. You know, Jim, the way I look at it is um, there are these things out there in the market. We're very cognizant watching all the signals, but it's our job to navigate through those and really think about, you know, how do we add value uh, next year, the following year going forward. So, you know, we're going to navigate through those things. Um, you know, AMD's never been a better position. I'm extremely excited about where we're going over the next few years. And, uh, you know, it'll be a fun ride. Well, you're one of the largest positions in my chapel trust. I've been a believer since $5 when you told me the truth about what I didn't know about semiconductors. Lisa Sue, AMD chair and CEO. Lisa, thank you so much for coming here in person. Great Thanks. to see you. Thank money you, back here for a moment. Coming up, when a cheap stock isn't cheap enough, Kramer steers you through a couple of hot potatoes. Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. As you know, today was a horrific day for the market, but it's particularly terrible for some of the most beaten down digital stocks out there, namely two of them, DocuSign and Stitch Fix. These two plunged 24% and 18% respectively in the wake of some truly awful earnings. Well, it's not surprising to see stocks melt down into their important owners that we don't like. It's remarkable when you consider how far these two former market darlings have already fallen going into the print. Think about this. DocuSign was down 72% from its last year's high when it reported Stitch Fix had come down 93% from its peak. They come down so far that you can argue that they were cheap on certain metrics. But as we saw today, they deserve to be even cheaper. You know my mantra for this market. You want companies that make real stuff, turn a profit, distribute those profits to shareholders with dividends and buybacks, and also have stocks to trade at a reasonable price. Neither DocuSign nor Stitch Fix fits that profile. Today's lesson is very simple. When your stock doesn't have any dividend support and doesn't have reasonable valuation versus earnings, assuming it even has earnings, there's no floor in this market. If you find yourself asking how low can it go, the answer is almost always lower. Here on Mad Money, we don't care where a stock came from. We only care where it's going to. With both DocuSign and Stitch Fix, many people told me it couldn't possibly get worse. These stocks were already down so much, they just had to bottom. But that's not how it works. These newer stocks, the ones that have coined in the last three, four, five years, they've been insanely expensive at times before the peak before November, uh, and maybe even before they came public. So as their business deteriorates, they can fall very, very far before they find any kind of support at all. So let's take a closer look at how these two imploded yet again. We're going to start with DocuSign because in many ways it has the better story. This is the rare cloud software stock with an easy-to-understand narrative. DocuSign's digital signature platform, I'm sure you've used it, makes it possible to sign important documents over the Internet. That, that was already useful before the pandemic, but once COVID hit, it became the safest way to conduct transactions. And look, I still think DocuSign's got a great product, one that's personally made my life easier. You don't need me to convince that this tech is all important. But the, And this is a... Uh, Sir, mix a lot size, but that doesn't mean DocuSign can keep putting up good numbers. Sometimes a compelling product is not enough. During the early days of the pandemic, DocuSign's business caught fire and its stock roared higher. Their earnings per share grew from 31 cents in 2019 to nearly two bucks last year. So it made perfect sense that the stock was unabatable from the start of the pandemic through last August when it peaked at around $315. In retrospect, though, that was just way too high. 
Back before the Fed cut off the supply of easy money, cloud software stocks like this one were trading at sky-high price to sales multiples. And DocuSign was one of the most expensive. It sold for 44 times sales at the peak. Earnings, well, it sold it at 185 times earnings. Now, that is insane. Even before the Fed started hitting the brakes, DocuSign had pulled back to the mid-200s because we knew it was a COVID stock that would do worse as the pandemic receded. Then by the end of the last year, the numbers had started to deteriorate and investors began to bail. But it just keeps going lower. And for good reason. Last night, DocuSign reported a mixed set of results. A decent revenue beat, coupled with an eight-cent earnings miss off of a 46-cent basis. Their guidance was mixed, too. While management gave you inline revenue and margin forecasts, their billings forecasts were much weaker than expected. There were two major issues with the quarter. First is margin erosion. While we've gotten used to companies having good sales but weak earnings thanks to inflation, that shouldn't be the case for a software company. They don't have to worry about raw costs or freight. Instead, DocuSign's having to compromise on pricing, which tells you the environment's more competitive than we thought. We didn't even know they had, any, we didn't know they had competition. Second problem, the weak billings outlook. Management made some very vague comments about customer demands and use cases and the macroeconomic environment. Not good. Got to figure the real estate slowdown will really hurt DocuSign. No wonder three analysts downgraded today. Three! Who was still recommending this thing? And the stock plummeted 24%. But even for that decline, I can't call this one cheap. DocuSign now sells for roughly 37 times this year's earnings. That's, that's expensive. Okay, sure, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than it used to be, but that doesn't mean anything. There's a very different market than we had a year ago. Never confuse a big decline with a bottom. They are not synonymous. Okay, what's the right place, price to pay for DocuSign? Look, with growth stocks, you never want the price to earnings multiple to be more than twice the growth rate. Unfortunately, DocuSign is no longer a growth stock. The earnings are set to decline this year, and nobody wants to pay up for a stock with shrinking earnings. And who knows if they can even make the numbers, especially after that bottom had that terrible action today. Here's the bottom line. There is no serious way to value this thing because a growth stock with no growth is a pariah. And that's how DocuSign can't find a floor. Okay, how about the next one, Stitch Fix? The subscription-based AI-powered personal shopping service. I mean, doesn't it even sound antebellum somehow? Okay, this is another one that had a great run during the darkest days of COVID because people couldn't shop in person. At its peak in early 2021, Stitchfix was trading at six times sales, which might not sound that crazy for a cloud stock, but this is not a subscription software business. It's a canceled anytime the power retailer. So six times sales is a lot of money. Right now, Macy's, one of the best department stores, doesn't even sell for six times earnings. The stock should never have been that high, and it spent the better part of the last 18 months working its way lower. Stitchfix has had a series of ugly quarters with a shrinking subscriber count and increasingly soft guidance, which explains how it could be down more than 90%, 90% from its highs going to last night. Now, we knew this would be a bad one because even before we got the results yesterday, CMNC reported that Stitchfix was laying off 15% of its salary workforce. Not something you do when business is good. Sure enough, when the results came out, Stitchfix saw its subscriber base shrink by 5% year over year. Shrink! with 112,000 fewer subscribers than three months before. While their revenue was basically in line, they had a wider-than-expected earnings loss. More importantly, Stitch Fix gave discouraging guidance, too. Hence why the stock tumbled another 18% today, even after falling 10% yesterday on the layoff news. Margins taking a hit. Their newer non-subscription straight retail business is struggling. Just not a lot to like here. How do you value Stitch Fix? I honestly have no idea, except to say that this market is merciless to unprofitable companies, and we have no idea when this alpha can even come close to breaking even. Sure, Stitch Fix had already fallen from the triple digits to the single digits, but if you thought it couldn't go any lower, oh, come on, you were deluding yourself. This one's untouchable until their core business starts to stabilize, which could take a long time. 
Even after this decline, the company's worth almost $700 million. That's a lot for a money-losing, personally curated clothing outfit, which doesn't seem like a standalone business at all. Bottom line, we don't care where this former market darling has been or DocuSign. We only care where they're going. And with business getting worse, there's nothing to stop a DocuSign or Stitch from going lower, regardless of how much you like the product. Let's go to Steve in California. Steve. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a first-time caller, but a long-time listener of your fine show. Oh, thank you. My, thank you very much. Sure. My uh, question today is on Microsoft. I sold my position earlier this year just to lock into some profits, and I was waiting to get back in, and I thought I'd put in a pretty good little double bottom there the middle of May. But now, after today and tomorrow, I'm wondering, uh, should we wait, or is it time to get back in? I think you buy a little Microsoft. We were saying that for the uh, CNBC Investing Club, which is my travel trust. I think you buy some on Monday. It's just such a good company. It's okay. You're buying it down almost 100 points from where it was. That's all right with me. Why? Because it's a real company with real dividend. Pays back a a huge number of shares. That's good. We don't care where the stocks of these former market darlings have been. We only care where they're going. And I think they can still go lower. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with CyberArk. Could CyberArk be one of the themes that's working out there in Silicon Valley? Well, I'm checking in with the CEO. Then it's time to understand what it's like to be in a bear market. I'll give you my playbook on how to manage. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Now that the market's rolling over again, which of the tech stocks managed to bottom early during the last big meltdown in May? How about CyberArk? When this security software company reported a month ago, the results were mixed because of the transition to a subscription-based business model. Initially, the stock got pulverized, but it bottomed on May 12th, more than a week before the rest of the market, and has since rebounded more than 30 bucks from its lows. Can they do it again? Earlier this week, we had the chance to catch up with Udi Makati. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of CyberArk. Take a look. Udi, you are on a roll. Since I've seen you last, the company's gotten bigger and better and bigger and better. Signed 250 customers over the first quarter of 2022 in almost every single vertical. Have they figured out how dangerous things are, or have they figured out how good you are? Oh, great to be back, Jim. And, uh, yeah, we've gone through an amazing uh, t- transition at CyberArk with uh, our SaaS offering. So more and more customers can jump on privilege access management earlier. And it's become a must-have layer. And, uh, and so that, that explains. We had a record Q1 in terms of uh, new logos. It's a, it's a record for a non-Q4 uh, quarter. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's the expansion from privilege access management to also all identities. Yeah, there was a transition your company made. It's an accounting transition, but it's much more important than that. But basically what you've made is, is it's, given you, it's given you a really good uh, path to profitability. So we're no longer taking the idea that you're one of those companies just making money. Absolutely. We were profitable before we announced transition to SaaS and subscription. So we're on our way to get back there. And we announced uh, finishing the transition in five quarters as opposed to the eight to ten we first told the street. Well, uh, that's remarkable. I know how long some of these usually take long. You know, they go over. Now, there are some things that have happened that are very worrisome to our country. You said 84 percent of energy and utility companies have been hit with a successful uh, attack. Now, are they just hiding it? Are they just not telling us? I mean, this is, this is back from uh, surveys we did to, to companies coming, coming back, and, uh, and some of them are just not reported. Some of them are minor. 
I think one of the biggest things we found, we surveyed 1,500 uh, companies out there, and 70% of them said they had a ransomware attack, or two, most of them two, in the last 12 months. Now, you have done some identity work, that uh, machine identity work, that I think would make it so that, and by the way, you do partner with Okta, we, we, we like the Okta guys, but that has made it so it, that if you're, they hire you, it's a little harder to do extortion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, the privilege access management layer is covering the human aspect of credentials and the keys to the kingdom, but also the machine aspect where applications are talking to each other. They're using secrets. So we've expanded to be the platform for all types of identities. Uh, we actually did go into the identity management world. So with, with, with Octo, it's actually a, you know, it's a huge space. So we're going after that as well, where a customer that trusted us for privileged users can trust us to secure all types of users, now, the workforce, et cetera. I, I have told people over and over again, look, kings of the kingdom means that the, the bad guys aren't going after anybody. They're going after the high-level guy that they read left the company, and they burrow in through that person, and that person has access to everything. Yeah. And that's why you, that's how you can stop yeah, and it's, and it's only expanding. With, with the move to cloud, a privileged user is actually not just the classic IT personnel. It could be a business user that can administer. It could be the person at managing the cloud console. The cloud and, and, made it a little more, and work from home has made it more and dangerous. work from home, open it up. The attack surface has been growing. So, so for us, there are more identities to secure, and, and that's what we're going after. And that's why uh, your retention rate, again, is, is just extraordinary, right? I mean, people just more and more, they just get bigger and bigger with you. Yeah, we've, we've grown a lot. First of all, the, the customer base is now uh, 8,000 uh, around, around the world, but also employees find a true mission in Cyber because it's an impactful layer that makes a difference to the customer base. Okay, so let's, let's use a customer. A, a cruise ship company hires you. What are they trying to stop? Oh, so they're, they're absolutely under, under attack. They have financial systems. They, they have hoteling uh, as, a, as, a, as a cruise ship. They have uh, personal identifiable information to protect credit cards and, and a lot of data. So they first start with the privilege access management layer, covering all of those users that do need privilege access to perform their tasks, but, but keeping it away from bad guys, and then expand with us to their, all of their employees. Have you seen companies uh, had their whole outfit shut down, their, supply, their, their, their conveyor belts shut down, they're they're, they're actually the, the guts of their company shut down by bad guys. Absolutely. As we speak, Costa Rica is going through that. Uh, you know, here, here at the conference in San Francisco, I met with Costa Rican customers and partners, and they told, me, told us that it's really devastating. Salaries not paid, uh, things moving to manual processes. Uh, th these things are real. They, they uh, reflect in the physical world. Well, one of the things that really worried me is you have hospitals. I mean, could they make it so you can't perform an operation? Well, we're, we're passionate about the healthcare uh, sector, and, and that's why we protect those, those keys to the kingdom, so that even if there, there is an infection, it's, it's going to be minor and not something Do that takes down the hospital. Do people know how dangerous it is not to hire you? Uh, it's becoming a growing awareness that privilege access management is a must-have, identity security is a must-have, and, uh, and you, you can see that in our growth. In okay, adoption. I, I want to know, um, how do I presume that my bank uh, has you, because not... Maybe a little bit of money of my of my accounts taken out every week, and the next thing you know, uh, I mean, because that's what a smart guy, a bad guy would do. Uh, banks know about what you do, right? Yeah, the, the banks are aware. It's it's been the probably the, the fastest growing sector when we first started. Now we've become multi-vector in all sectors. There's a joke among customers about CyberArk employees when they see a bank or an airline that's not using CyberArk, they they choose not to fly or bank there. They're worried. Really. And, and the other guys, you can bring in zero trust, yeah. uh, and that means that it is most likely that they are not, that a bad guy would say, you know what, 
I see that customer has CyberArk. I'm going to go after another entity. Yeah, that's, that's our goal. It's a team sport in cybersecurity, but our goal is to be a, 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 an important layer that makes it very hard for them. And if they try to go around it, they're going to make a lot of noise. Now, uh, where are you getting your people? Because everyone tells me it's impossible to hire and uh, this is a tough time. Where, where, where is someone and how do you trust your people? Oh, so first of all, trust is, is the most important. I think we, 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 uh, we, we go very carefully in the hiring uh, process, but I think uh, we, we stood out. We have gr great retention rates of employees and people come with that true sense of mission. Uh, you well, know, you know I've always been worried, I want people to understand that no one from your outfit has then gone to the other side. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's an advantage with a lot of people come from military backgrounds where we can really uh, screen them and it's an advantage for us. Um, and and there's, there's a good way to uh, refer employees and, and check them out. And they, they, they get connected to the mission. Customers want to come and work for CyberArk. There's a, there's a culture of making a true impact uh, in cybersecurity. Well, I want to congratulate you. You had that different model. You moved over. Um, when I first met you, I said, I don't really understand this. I want people to understand that this is, uh, if you don't hire these guys, then there's a very good chance that you will be hacked. And I don't want to fly or bank <laughs> with someone who can be buried into by a bad guy. Udi Makati is the founder, chairman, CEO of CyberArk. Thank you so much, Thank Udi. Good to see you in person. Same here, same Thank you. Maybe I'm to be back after break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the Lightning Round. We're going to with me in Illinois, Lee. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am real good. You know, I'm just getting started out here. I'm really starting to get fired up. What's happening? Well, anyway, I'm Lee from beautiful Palatine, Illinois, and I want to know what you think about Neil. Buy, hold, or sell? I think Palatine's one of them hills in Italy. Um, I don't like to buy any of these Chinese stocks. They come in, they cut sell, your sell, heart sell, out. Sell, 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 so sell. Let's move on. How about Michael in the small state of Delaware? Michael! <laughs> Booyah, Jim. Booyah. <laughs> on a day like today, it's hard to have one of those. But Long Neck, Delaware, I'm feeling it over here. Ben, I'm having a hard time. What do you think about Neriatri Therapeutics? Okay, Neriatri. Okay, here's the thing. This is targeted uh, anti-cancer. And I have always said that you can own one of these as a pure spec. But understand that you can lose all that you put in. But as a pure spec, I think it's a good one. Let's go to Carter in Illinois. Carter! Hey, Jimmy Chill. How's it going to California? Chill, be happy. This is I'm chill out here, I got to tell you. Can't beat this place. What's happening? All right. Well, my stock for you is Johnson Controls, ticker symbol JCI. Nobody wants I've this going into recession, even though I think they're in a 2.7 yield. At, at three and a half yield, I think this one works. But right now, people feel they're going to miss the quarter. I don't think they are. Let's go to Chris in Massachusetts. Chris. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Ah, pretty good. How about you? Good. I'm first-time caller. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate Excellent. it. Excellent. And I just want to say I appreciated your comments on in, uh, inflation this morning because these uh, yeah. eight, eight and a half readings are seeming a little, a little yeah, low. We got to be tough. We need more than what the Fed's doing. It's okay to admit that you're wrong. Just got to be a little That's more aggressive. Right. Move on. Um, Let's go. Absolutely. Anyway, the stock I wanted your thought on, it's a bit of a contrarian pick right now. 
uh, but it's Zuora, ticker Z-U-O. Zuora's losing money, and we like companies that make things and do stuff, return capital to shareholders because they're profitable and tell it a reasonable valuation, so it does not fit our criteria of what you should own. Winton in Kansas. Winton. Hey, Jim. Thank you for everything you do and for just fielding my started, question. Just getting started, Winton. I'm just getting started. What's happening? So I was doing an internet search earlier this week, and I accidentally fat-fingered my search and came across this company. They're a dry bulk shipping company, and they're down about 20% since Monday. Anyway, and then earlier today, I was listening to the president's speech and wondered if this was one of the companies he was referring to. The company is Golden Ocean Group. The ticker is GOGL. No, I do not think that's dry bulk. I think he's talking about companies that may even be uh, uh, sending pressure stuff over, stuff that uh, uh, consumables. Uh, look, these are ones when they, these yield 15%, a lot of them yield very high. I'm always suspicious when I see that high yield, and I always pass. Always. Sometimes I'm going to be wrong, but I pass. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Booyah, Jimbo. Booyah. Yeah, in Delray Beach. We love your show, man. Oh, thank Remember you, man. Thank you very club. much, Delray. We love Delray. My wife loves yeah, Delray. So I. I got a bunch Hard of to get her out of there when she gets down there. down there. What's up? Okay. Uh, we remembered your club, and you've been inspiration for our grandson. Thank you, and we're going to keep going. We are unstoppable at the club. I'm doing a piece this weekend for you. What's up? Get, okay. We're wanting to find out what you think about Blue Owl. You know... I got enough problems with major league banks. I do not need to fool around with minor league banks. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, it's almost a wrap from San Francisco. But Kramer goes buzzer to buzzer, and we're not done yet on Mad Money. You have to get your arms around what it means to be in a bear market. First, it's going to frustrate you beyond measure. There could be days, maybe even weeks, where things look perfect. It feels like everything's changed. And those positive moments lure you in. Let me put it this way. I like to fish. When that fish sees the worm or the minnow, he's thinking, things are finally looking up. Free meal! Instead, he ends up gaffed. And unless it's, it's catch and release time, he's dinner. You don't want to be dinner. You don't want to take the bait for that free lunch of a beautiful day. So many people this week ask me, when is the market going to stop going down? I always come back and say, look, it's pretty darn easy. We need to see one of three things. One, the war in Ukraine ends. The market doesn't care who wins so long as farmers can plant wheat and the Russians can export oil. Personally, you know, I'm rooting for Ukraine, but Wall Street can be heartless. Two, China stops its ridiculous attempt to stamp out COVID by totally locking down vast swaths of the country for long periods of time. Okay, this wouldn't be a problem if the government would just buy the good mRNA vaccines from the West, but they won't. And you know what? We don't have immunity to this disease, naturally. Three, we somehow break the back of inflation. Either the Fed does it with more aggressive rate hikes or the president does it by sweet-talking oil companies into drilling more aggressively, perhaps with carbon capture tax incentives. Let's be a little creative here. So far, that's not happening. Why these three? 
Okay, every day that we hear something negative for the stock market, the root cause is almost always one of these three issues. Earlier this week, we heard that Apple's precious service revenue stream might be hurt by China's lockdown consumers. Later in the week, we got word that a bunch of industrials had to have their numbers cut because of the conflict nations. And, of course, there's no end to the inflation woes and the accompanying worries about how the Fed will have to raise rates aggressively, wrecking all sorts of industries, especially housing, but also retail. Rates soared again today because of that miserable CPI number. As long as all three of these problems are on the table, the market's going to be stuck in this mode and not get to this mode. You can't just say sentiment's gotten so bad we have to take the other side of the trade. Sentiment's bad because nothing's good. Right now, it's right to be bad. That said, today's smoking hot consumer price index number could be the peak in inflation because some of the key components are now plentiful. Think used cars, apparel. But frankly, it sure feels like we can't truly beat inflation without hobbling the consumer. We've got so many supply chain problems creating shortages that Fed mandated demand destruction could be the only cure. Hard to imagine that playing out before the end of the year, but I do believe it will happen. So then the logical question is, why watch? Why bother owning anything in this market? It's simple. Three huge issues are all going wrong right now. But really, what are the odds that they all stay wrong? You know what? I think they're actually slim to none. It's just about the time frame. If you can, look, I'm going to give you some credit here. If you can anticipate the bottom, by all means, do some selling and get back in at lower levels. But most people, including myself, aren't that nimble. As I say to the CNBC Investing Club members, I don't know when the pain will end, but I'm not going to be left behind when it does. I'd like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Bad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.